What's up, guys? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview entrepreneurs on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Michael Zapersky, the founder of ConsultingSuccess.com, where they help other consultants develop a proven marketing system and profitable consulting business. As an international entrepreneur and consultant, Michael utilizes his ability to adapt to diverse cultures and drive positive impact across the globe. So if you're looking to make an impact with your skills and experiences and make a profit along the way, Michael and his team are the route you need to go. I'm super excited for this episode and for you to hear it. I frequently listen to Michael's podcast for advice, and I know you will have some takeaways from him in this episode. So please give it up for Michael Zapersky and Consulting Success. Really looking forward to today's episode with Michael Zapersky. He's a fellow consulting entrepreneur, and he is the founder of ConsultingSuccess.com. I listen to his podcast on my runs. So this episode is really going to be all about kind of me picking his brain on how he has scaled his consulting business because he's somebody I look up to. And yeah, how are you doing today, Michael? I'm great, CJ. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Um, But the first thing I always start with is a little bit of a hook and your LinkedIn kind of title hooked me where you write impact, meaning, lifestyle, and profit. And at Thrive, everybody that listens knows that my whole mission in life is to help other mission-based entrepreneurs. And this really caught my eye. And I'd just love to know a little bit more of, was that always you or what kind of led you to leading with that title? Yeah, I think those are keywords that are all about kind of our principles for business and, and for life. Everyone's can be different, but for for me, those are what resonate. I want to do great work with fantastic people, and of course, want to make a profit because I'm an entrepreneur and a and a capitalist. And in many ways, I want to build wealth. But for me, wealth is not about material things. It's about creating more meaning and having more choice and having more freedom. So that's you know being able to travel the world with my family or enjoy a great meal with friends. So for me, that that's really what it's all about and what drives the decisions that I make every day. Awesome. Love that. And for you, other than like traveling with your family, like what do you think brings you the most meaning in your life in terms of your day-to-day lifestyle as an entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And um, I think for me, what, what comes back, and I see this a lot with, with the consultants that we work with is helping. Right. And so I don't know about you, CJ, but for, in my case, like when I, when I help somebody, it, it might be a client or it might be somebody that I meet on the street or Actually, I was just I was going up the coast uh, on Friday to be away for a couple of days and I was at the ferry terminal and I was coming down the, an escalator and this elderly woman actually started to fall down the escalator. And my friend was there and he, he grabbed her. He did the first move. I think he really saved her. And I was able to kind of just hold her up a little bit as she was as the escalator was coming down at the bottom. Uh, and the first thought, of course, is, is she OK? You know, just get her to kind of stand up and make sure that she's she's OK. But just that feeling of helping. It's like, whoa, that that felt good to be able to help somebody. And so whether it's giving somebody directions or lending a helping hand, really in any format that it comes in, helping people is, is what makes me the most fulfilled. And so uh, I try and do that as much as I, I'm able to. Amazing. And was this instilled in you since you were a kid? Did your parents play a part in this or 
Do you know of like a time in your life where it kind of shifted you into seeking more fulfillment, I would say, over achievement of goals? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a really great question. Um, so in my, I'll take you back a little bit of my story, and, and this is probably where, where some of this comes from. So I, I was born in Toronto, and at the age of two, my parents moved my sister and I to Israel, uh, and we spent the next kind of four and a half years living there, you know, being surrounded by all different cultures and religions and, and people, and obviously a lot happening in, in that country and in that whole region. So when we came then back to Canada, the time to Vancouver, uh, I didn't speak English. Uh, I didn't know anyone. And so I really felt like an outsider. And so for me, I had to find a way to kind of prove myself or to show that I can kind of stand amongst those. And, you know, I, I wanted to to be in the spotlight to a degree, right? I, I want to feel like I, I fit in. I didn't really channel that through sports. But I think that period of time where I was the outsider, where I didn't speak the language, I didn't know anyone, I didn't feel like I fit in, like I just really felt like I was different. And that's stuck with me for a long time. Even today, to, to a degree, you know, I feel much more like a global citizen than I do even a Canadian citizen. And I've always just enjoyed meeting people from different countries and backgrounds and religion and, and all that kind of stuff. And so like I remember being in high school and uh, there was a guy that had just moved from Ghana and he was he was one of the only black guys in our school. And it seemed like he was always by himself. He would go and he'd bring his lunch, he'd sit in the field, no one else would talk to him. But I was just like, I went right over to him and I sat with him, we became you know good friends. Because to me, that's like, that was interesting. When I think also about other kids in elementary school, that they would be kind of picked on because they were smaller, a bit more nerdy and into trains or quote unquote geeky stuff. And I, I just, I appreciate everyone. I, I want to talk to them about what they're doing. And I just like to make friends with kind of like the underdogs. And it's probably because early on, I felt like an underdog. Um, so I think that's probably where, where that comes from. Um, and then just influences throughout my life as well. Oh man, I, I love that story. And it's a lot more relatable than you think. I haven't traveled too much internationally, but I lived in five different cities within three years. And then growing up, I was an engineer and also an athlete. Did, what sport did you play? Uh, it's more like what sport didn't I play when I was okay. <laughs> my whole life, but I was most serious about rugby uh, and then track and field, uh, but specifically the, the throwing. So discus, shot put, javelin. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And something about sports teaches you to kind of have that attitude of, you start realizing that the entire team is what makes and drives the ship to victory. So you can't have any weak links. And when you're traveling and something that I've noticed is because I played sports when I was younger, when I travel, meeting new people and interacting with new people never really seemed as big as a hurdle as it did for other people. And it's one of those things that I've recommended over time. And my young brother, I know that you started the business with your cousin. And when you're working with family, like when I work with my brother, he doesn't always take my advice, um, but one of the things that he did do was leave our hometown, and it's something that I always recommend for other people to do because it's a humbling experience and you just learn learn a lot. But in terms of where you're at today, give us a little rundown of what your business actually is and what you're trying to kind of achieve. Yeah, so my background is building consulting businesses. Um, I've been doing that now for about 21 years. The last 11 years of that has been through consulting success. We've had some other businesses uh, throughout that time that we've we've built and sold and so forth. But last 11 years, the real big focus has been around consulting success, which is where we work with consultants all around the world in many different industries. These are people that are very good at what they do. They have expertise in whether that might be in design, science, medicine, you know, food and beverage, that you name the industry. Uh, so they're good at what they do, but what they're looking for help with is how do they take all those skills, that knowledge, that experience and expertise 
and build a business around it. So we help them with everything from getting very clear around their area of specialization, their ideal clients, develop messaging that's going to resonate with their ideal clients and get their attention and interest so they want to raise their hand and have a conversation, how to actually package and position and place value and price their service offerings, then build a marketing engine so they can have a pipeline of opportunities coming in consistently. So it's all really about building consulting businesses and then scaling those businesses and doing it in a way that's going to be meaningful for that person because everyone's goals are, are different. And so we work with our clients. Uh, we have a couple of different programs, one specifically for new consultants called Momentum, uh, and then others, a coaching program called Clarity, which is for consultants that want kind of a hands-on, customized plan and then guidance and coaching to uh, help them to to achieve their goals even faster than they, they could by themselves. Nice. And has COVID affected one part of the business or the other? Because one of the things I've realized is people are starting to kind of pursue their own endeavors. And one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on here today is because I believe consulting is something that many of us can do, obviously in different lanes and different industries, but it's something that I love to do. And you mentioned helping. Everybody can help somebody else. We all have knowledge that we can use to help somebody else get to their next level. And have you found during this time that maybe there's an influx of people that want to do this or are you seeing higher growth in the other area of your business? Yeah, no, I mean, we're busier than we've ever been. We're always talking to to consultants, but I think given what's going on, a lot of people felt that they had stability in their employment or that they were just, even if they were consultants before, that their source of business, you know, was secure. And uh, obviously COVID and the uncertainty going on in the world right now has shaken up a lot of people's plans. Uh, and so people are reevaluating and, and recognize that, you know what, maybe I don't want to go down the corporate path and I don't actually have the stability that I thought that I did. Or, you know what, the clients or the source of business that I had for my company that actually has has dried up. And so I can't rely on just my referrals and my network any longer. I need to actually start working on my marketing. So we have different types of people at different stages that have been reaching out. But but certainly I mean, we've seen if you look at the statistics and data around consulting, it continues to grow year after year. It's been happening for a while And our belief is that that's going to accelerate even further, given what's happening in the world today. What was your transition into the world of consulting? Because I know you mentioned fear can be an issue for people looking to try something new and and getting to the consulting world. Was there any fear in your life when you were trying to enter this world? Or give us a rundown of kind of even how you even got into consulting in the first place. Yeah, so the, this is going back to my transition from high school into into college. My cousin Sam and I decided to start our first business, and it was a web design and development company back in those days when that was still you know relatively early. Uh, and so Sam's focus was on the design and kind of the creative component, and uh, my focus was more on the client, you know, communications and and the marketing and, and the business development side of it. And so that was really our first foray and first experience into the world of entrepreneurship, at least in the kind of like a formal, you know, a a real business. Uh, And then pretty quickly after that, we started another company a couple of years later called Kanke Culture. Kanke is the Japanese word for relationship. And we were running that from Vancouver, but I decided to go over to Japan and actually open up a branch office for our company there. So, you know, my entrepreneurial background came just from starting it. You know, I I read a lot during those, those days, just consuming a lot of information, but then I wanted to apply it, right? I didn't want to just be theoretical, I want to actually apply it. And so like when I was in high school and then in university, I was learning a lot of information, but to me, it didn't feel like it was serving me because I wasn't able to apply a lot of what I was learning. 
Whereas in the business world, you know, I could read a book or take a course or attend a seminar, you know, today, listen to a podcast and I can instantly then apply what I'm learning. Even if it's one small thing, I can apply it the same day. So to me, that's, you know, the power behind entrepreneurship is that you can really turn ideas into action very, very quickly. And then I think the other part of your question, CJ, was around fear. And I think there's there's fear that crops up in everyone's lives at all times. Like there's there's always, I think if you're not finding some level of fear, it probably means that you're not pushing yourself, you're not challenging yourself. For me, what's been probably most profound or, or powerful is as I've, you know, kind of developed and become a little bit older and I've, you know, accumulated more experience of both things that have worked and have not worked, I realized that one of the biggest factors in success it's not just the ideas that you have, but it's it's how you handle the setbacks. It's how you handle the fear. Do you step backwards uh, or do you pause and do you kind of freeze when there's uncertainty and fear around you, which is what so many people unfortunately have done during this time of COVID, which I understand because it's a very challenging time, but many others have decided to move forward uh, and face those fears and you know become a little bit uncomfortable and venture into that zone of the unknown. But that's that's where you achieve more. That's where you feel more fulfilled. That's where you make greater progress. Uh, and so I didn't know that it's instinctively early on, but as I've learned those lessons and had those experiences, I've recognized that that is a common theme that just keeps popping up, not just in my own life, but in the lives of many other successful people that I know they've channeled that and just, they continue to take action. They learn from what they're doing, whether it's a success right away or it's going to be a success later on. But they're not stopping and, and waiting for the perfect time. They're they're always taking action. I love that. We definitely find that you can define a person more so with how they react when they lose rather than when they're winning. And I love how you talked about setbacks. And I'd love to hear, do you have any specific experience experiences that come to mind when you think of kind of setbacks that ended up kind of being a slingshot into something better? Because I think, especially people coming from the corporate world, they don't necessarily understand that sometimes having that setback actually helps you recalibrate and then you can see something that you didn't see before. So is there anything that comes to mind in terms of building your own business? I mean, yeah, there, there's lots. I think what what I would just kind of point out, like my observation around this is that every quote unquote setback or what some people might call like a failure, to me, these these are all part of it. So I don't look at, at any of this as, oh yeah, this was like a big failure or it's just like, this is a learning experience. And, and that then allowed me to take a different path or to become stronger. So I'll give you one example. I was in Japan. Uh, I was consulting for several uh, billion dollar organizations. I mean, multi-billion dollar organizations like Panasonic and Dow Jones Japan and Financial Times Japan and Sumitomo and a whole bunch of others. And I remember one, one specific instance where one of our clients actually called up my, my kind of strategic alliance partner which was a large ad agency in Japan. Uh, and I was very good friends with the managing director there. And he said, listen, they were up in Tokyo. We were down in Osaka. And they said, we're really upset because one of the ads that you guys developed for us, we just found like a very similar ad somewhere else. And anyways, long story short, there were certainly some oversights on, on our part. And, you know, that's something that I had to take responsibility for. But there was also, it wasn't, you know, completely our our fault. There was there was just different things at play, regardless, right? That, that issue was it was the issue. And so what we did though, is what changed it, right? So I could have just responded and gone, no, no, that's their fault. They didn't tell us this, 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 right? It made it a whole battle. But instead, what did we do? Well, Moria-san and I got on a bullet train. We went, you know, right up to, to Tokyo. So a couple of hours later, 
We were already in their office. We were sitting down four hours later, you know, crazy Japanese style long meetings where you're talking about all kinds of random stuff for, for a while. But by the end of it, you know, not only were, were we back in business with them, but that could just continue a long kind of profitable relationship for, for years to come. And that wouldn't have happened if we didn't take it that way. But I remember that feeling in my stomach when I first got that phone call. You know, here I'm a 20 year old something kid, essentially, you know, young man dealing with people that are in their 50s and 60s in a foreign country uh, where, you know, I understood a lot of things, but there's a lot that I still did not understand. And so that was a very challenging time, mentally challenging time. And I could still, you know, I could feel it in my stomach at that, at that moment, but it was a lesson that I learned. And so one thing that I took away from that is that the time where you feel, whether it's down or a sense of fear or anxiety or confusion or, you know, any of these kinds of things, it's usually most acute in that exact moment. And so what a lot of people do, which I don't, I think is the wrong approach is you dwell on what's happening and you, you kind of think about that issue and you extrapolate it to the future. But the reality is that most often what you're thinking about or dealing with at this exact moment is the strongest in this exact moment. It's not actually that big of a deal. And so if you allow yourself just to, to breathe and go, okay, how do we deal with this exact moment? Like it's going to be better likely in a few hours, if not a few days or a few weeks or a few months, but it, it's very rarely going to impact the rest of your life in a really negative way if you respond to it properly. So what that reminded me of and consistently going forward as different challenges came up is, okay, let's just deal with what we have right now because the reality is it's probably going to get a lot better, not a lot worse. And how bad is it? Like the worst that could happen in that situation is we would have lost that as a client. Well, that would suck, right? It was a big part of revenue and you know made bad for the brand name and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, I'm still alive. I still have my health. There's still other clients out there. Like, so it's always good to kind of look at your situations and find like, is this really that big of a deal? Look at it from a different perspective. And I think most importantly, when you encounter a setback or a challenge, what's the first step that you can take to move forward? Don't allow it to hold you back. Just what is one step that you can take to, you know, to move forward? And, and most likely when you take that step, you'll go, okay, that wasn't as hard. Maybe I could take one more step and then one more step and then one more step. And you look back and, and you've actually been able to get past whatever that hiccup or that setback was a lot faster than you would have if you were just kind of dwelling on it. It sounds like to get past, and again, I'm a consultant as well, it, from looking at my past, if you address the problem head on, it helps you go forward versus I think a lot of people let the problem fester and then it becomes worse over time. And it sounds like for you, when you had that instance, you were basically you got on that train to address the problem head on and just deal with the consequences then rather than living in kind of uncertainty and not really knowing where you stand. And I think it's worse to not know where you stand than to actually address it head on. So I absolutely love that response. But you've been mentioning Japan a lot. What brought you to Japan in the first place? So uh, this will take me back to my, my early days, right? I, I was surrounded by a lot of different cultures and, and people. And then when I when my family moved us back to Canada, this time to Vancouver, um, I went to a high school where there were, again, many different cultures and, and people, but especially people from, from Asia. Not a lot of Japanese, but you know, many from mainland China or Hong Kong. And I remember you know, the hallway that I was in in our school, it was a fairly good sized school, but this one hallway, it seemed like it was like a sea of people from, from Asia. And then Michael, like the one white guy in the middle, it was and, but I loved it, right? For me, it was like, it was great. I made all these yeah. friends, different people, like, always joking around, all kinds of stuff. Um, so I've always been interested in, again, in culture and, and people. And because growing up in Vancouver, very heavy Asian influence and, and population, 
I started to connect with Asian people and, and Asian culture. And at that time, CJ, what was happening is I was also interested in business from a young age. And so when you look at the economy, the strongest economy in Asia at that time was Japan. And so I gravitated towards Japan. I gravitated towards the language, the people, the culture, the old samurai movies, where I started studying Japanese language. I like the Japanese ladies, right? All this kind of stuff. Like I was just being kind of pulled towards it. Uh, I started doing martial arts, all that stuff. And so then, you know, the time came where when I moved or transitioning from high school into university, I had started dating a Japanese lady and that became my wife. And so we did a long distance thing where she was, she went back to Japan. I was here and then we did back and forth. And then I ended up moving over there and spending five to six years uh, building a business in Japan. That's amazing. And it's hard enough building a business in your homeland, let alone trying to go learn a new culture and build a business over there. My question is, I want to become, I love how you said global citizen, but one of the fears I do have is the inability to like communicate and understand what were some of the, not necessarily struggles, but things you noticed, because you just mentioned like a four hour long meeting. What are some of the biggest differences you've noticed going from different countries in terms of your consulting and how you kind of have to operate in your business a little bit differently? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for us was was partnerships. So I think if I would have gone into Japan and just tried to like say, hey, I'm here, we're open for business, who wants to work with us, who can we help? I think I would have struggled a lot. But the approach that I took was even before I landed in Japan, even before I moved there you know, full time to, to build a business and so forth, I, I was starting to create relationships with people. And I looked for, you know, where would there be some synergies and kind of strategic partnerships where we could help each other out. So really what kicked things off for us is connecting with a couple of other firms out there. And one, you know, one person specifically, um, a guy by the name of Shinosuke, and he then connected me, like we just, we hit things off when I first went there. He then connected me to, you know, introduced me to a few other people over a drink or a dinner, or whatever it was one night that led to becoming really good friends with those people. They then connect me to different people. And so, again, I was this young 20-something-year-old guy, but I was surrounding myself with people in their late 40s, 50s, even 60s. And so that opened up a whole new world. And these were then people that because I focused not on transactions and not on business, uh, I focused on our relationship and just you know becoming friendly with, with these people that they then kind of went to bat for me, right? They became my kind of biggest fans and they would open up doors that for a solo, you know, foreigner to kind of enter would be almost impossible. Like it would be, you know, very, very challenging. So the way that we really made our mark was through partnerships, through leverage, through not trying to do everything ourselves. And also recognizing there's a lot of things that we didn't know. You know, I, I would never dream of going to a country like Japan or any other country and saying, hey, let me help, you know, you guys as, as a Japanese company to sell better in the Japanese market. It's not going to happen. I don't know the nuances of that, the cultural kind of components. There's a lot of, a lot of things that I'm not familiar with uh, or an expert in. But what I did is I said, okay, where do I have an advantage? Where, you know, we as a company, where can we add the most value for people? And it was Japanese organizations that were looking to market their products or services to English speaking countries. And so for us, we didn't have to know everything that there was to know. We just looked for what is an area where we can have an instant advantage where I speak the language, I speak English. Okay, well, you you don't, or at least not fluently, I have an advantage over you right there. 
well, I understand the culture. I understand. I can read what's on your website right now. I can go, you know, I understand what you're saying here, but like, this is not fluent English. This is not native level English, right? So we can start just finding ways to add value without having to, it, essentially it was our easiest in CJ, right? It's like, where can we identify value? Yeah. Where we can make a difference. Uh, and so for that, for us, that worked really well. I love that. And I usually call it a like tip of the spear, like the spearhead for us, it's always been, I'm approaching 30 and I've been on social media for years now. So I will work with people in their late forties and fifties looking to start their businesses. And it used to be five years ago, it was like pulling teeth to get people to realize that they needed to have a social presence. But today they, they know it, but they're fearful of it and they don't understand it. So typically, even though I'm like a systems consultant, I help build out initial systems in a business what gets their attention is I know the immediate value is they have no idea how to do audio video. They have no idea what they should be posting. Usually it's like they're trying to sell really hard on social media and social media is about being social, not about selling. But what is some of the other tips you would have for somebody that's listening out there that potentially has some type of skill or leverage that they'd love to get out into the market and share. But other than having that initial spearhead, what are some tips to get out there and build those relationships? Because I'm a relationships first type of person as well. But there's a lot of introverts and people that don't necessarily know how to go about that. What would be your advice for people like that? Yeah, I mean, it's a great, really great question. And we have a lot of clients who come from a technical background, or they consider themselves to be introverts, so they're not comfortable with the idea of, of sales and marketing. So I totally get that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm empathetic to it. Uh, so the big thing first of all, is to be really clear on who your ideal client is, right? This I see a lot of people making a mistake with. They go far too broad, far too general, and they wonder why they're not making any any traction. And that's because, number one, if you don't know who they are, then how can you even find them, right? You know, you might be fishing, like, you know, you're trying to catch, let's say, uh, a big king salmon, but you're, you know, you're looking for it in in like a little pond or something, you know, a freshwater pond. Like, it's just, it's not necessarily going to be the right place to go to, to find you know, the fish that you want. So you, you got to know what you're looking for and be as specific as you can. The second part of that though, is once you then know who they are, it means you can develop a message that's going to speak directly to the conversation that they're already having in their own mind, right? They, if you address the problems that they're having specifically, you address the desires that they have as well, you're going to have a much better chance of creating a, a message. Like you started off the podcast, right? The hook of kind of getting, getting someone interested, right? Or kind of piquing their curiosity or them seeing enough benefit and value that they want to learn more. Well, you can't do that if you don't know who your ideal clients are, because then you end up having a message that is bloated, it's too general, it's too vague, because you're trying to speak to too many different people at once. Well, there's already enough noise in the marketplace right now, especially with social media. You know, so in order for you to really stand out, your message has to be hyper-targeted and hyper-focused. Now, you might say, well, what about like big billion-dollar companies and you know that are putting out very general ads and catchy slogans? Well, yeah, they're billion-dollar companies. They, they don't have to have a conversion today, you know, to, to stay in business. They can pour hundreds of millions of dollars into campaigns and just stay top of mind. That works for them. It doesn't work for, you know, the small to even mid-sized business owner. So those are two, I'd say, really big things. And then the third is people right now focusing a lot, I would say, too much on technology and too much on volume rather than on value. And so specifically what I'm referring to there is everyone's looking for the fastest way to get more clients or to build your business and they see the different tools that you can use on LinkedIn or different platforms that just help to automate your outreach and do this, that, and the other. Well, what they're missing is that, especially when you're dealing with a savvy buyer, uh, they can tell the difference 
between like a very general message that's likely going out to hundreds or thousands of other people or a message that you've tailored to them specifically. And because we now are all surrounded by more noise in the marketplace than ever before, more ads, more hype, more false promises, more, you know, this, that, and the other, most people already have this filter that if something doesn't really speak to what is going on in their minds, they just don't even see it. Like it just goes right past them. Well, so if you want to actually get somebody to take notice to what you're talking about and what you have to offer, you need to be hyper focused on that person and make your message as relevant as you possibly can. And there's a fine balance that you want to strike between that because if you only target five ideal clients, um, you, you know, you're going to probably run out of opportunities pretty quickly because the, the statistics show that most people are not ready to buy from you today. But if you continue to build your pipeline with new ideal clients and you're targeting and focusing your message and you know, you're working through the right process and have the right system for that, what you'll find is that even if there's a very small response rate, as you add more and more people to your pipeline, that same percentage is just going to give you more and more overall responses back. And you do that, you do it consistently, you stick with the right follow-up, right, using the right system, and you'll have more clients than you can ever handle. The problem is that most people are thinking short-term. It's like transaction. How do I get in front of more people? How do I get them to buy? How do I get them to you know, say yes to what, I'm, what I have to offer? And I think that's an ineffective approach. Uh, it might work for some people, but if you're selling services that are higher value uh, or even products that are higher value, if there's more risk involved. There's, you know, you're dealing with a savvier buyer. There's more potential things that they need, like factors they need to consider. And so because of that, you want to lead with value. You want to lead with something that is relevant and just technology and jumping on, focusing on volume rather than value, uh, I think is a mistake. I love that. Too much on volume, not enough on value. I've actually, I haven't heard it said like that, but that's an amazing way to say it. And there's two things that caught my attention when you were just speaking, which was ideal client. And then when you're also mentioning transaction, which a lot of people don't realize in the long run, if you're taking on a heavy amount of transactions in the beginning and you haven't systemized or created a structure, you can't even scale anyway. So they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot where that short-term mindset really is going to hurt them six months or a year down the line when they start realizing that even though they're taking on a high transaction volume, we only have so much time in a day. But before I go down that rabbit hole, I'd love to understand more about, you mentioned ideal client. And one of the struggles that I've had in the past is when I ask customers, like, what's your customer avatar? What's your ideal client? What ends up happening is the data shows that their ideal client isn't the one that they're talking about, meaning whoever's buying from them or reaching out to them isn't necessarily the person that they say in their head. What do you yeah. typically, what advice do you typically give in that moment when this is happening? And how do you guide your clients to then find their true ideal customer? Yeah. Uh, so we have a whole process around this that we teach and, and use with our clients, but it's going to be different depending on whether you already are in business, I mean, you already have some client data compared to if you're just getting started, right? If you're just getting started, there's going to be more kind of hypotheticals uh, and hypotheses that you need to go out and validate. If you already are in business, you can look at the data and actually see like, you know, to your point there, CJ, a lot of people don't even look at their their customer or client data and see what's the actual job title of most of these people what size company are they how profitable is each client how profitable is each offering that you have you know these are things that can make a really big difference as you're looking to scale and uh, and optimize but a lot of people don't don't look at those things so yeah i mean you know you, you want to really go, get very granular and very specific with this uh so it's not just about like what industry are they in that's important but beyond that what size company like how many employees do they have how much revenue do they have what's their job title Right. Is that the, the actual person that makes the decision or is there somebody else that has to sign off on this? 
right? Uh, what does the, the buying kind of process and decision-making process look like? So you can kind of go through all these things. And then I think another challenge that people um, encounter is, well, which area should I focus in? Like which specific industry or what should my offering be? And so that's a, a bit of a blend, but you know, you want to start off and look at, we have this thing called um, niche scoring or niche scoring, depending on how you say the word, right? That you can kind of look at a whole bunch of different criteria around like, you know, potential and, and demand and passion and results and achievements. And you, you score these things based on, you know, your own criteria of where do you see the most potential in the marketplace? You know, where have you created the most results? So on, so on, so on. And that gives you then a, a score and you can then compare that to other industries or other opportunities that you've identified and see where you strongest. But that's only part of it, right? Because you want to look at where are you strong, but you also need to see where's the demand in the marketplace. And so then you need to go out and you need to start validating, you need to start testing, you need to start getting in front of people and seeing what actually resonates best. Like if I think about one of our past companies that we had that was acquired about three years ago, uh, I remember when I was first going out to networking events, like I was going to different technology events, meeting people, people would say, hey, like, what is it, you know, what do you do? And I would explain what it was that we were doing. And I remember that first iteration, people would be like, oh yeah, that's nice. Um, well, yeah, enjoy the event. And they'd go off and like, that would be it. And I kept thinking, I was like, man, this is not connecting. Like this, my, the message isn't landing. So then I started focusing more on one specific area within the business, like what, just one kind of corner of the offering. And then the next event, people would say, hey, so what is it that you do? And I'd explain and they'd go, oh, that's really cool. Like, how do you do that? And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm onto something here, right? So changing the messaging, testing different messages is what then helped me to arrive at well, what is our real, you know, what should our real offer be? Who should the ideal client really be? And so that's why it's this feedback loop. And I think CJ, this is not maybe your direct question. So if you want, bring me back if I'm kind of going down a rabbit oh, hole here. This is all gold. I love it. Okay, cool. So people shoot themselves in the foot because the way to make better decisions in business and and, and I'd say in life as well is you have to you have to take action, right? Uh, if someone says, well, who should my ideal client be? Or, you know, I have these three different offerings. I can do these three different things. Like, which one should I do? Part of that can, we can get clear on that just through a conversation, asking you a bunch of questions. But part of it, like the, the real success is going to come from you going out and testing it uh, in the marketplace by making that offer or, you know, writing that article or giving that talk and then seeing how it lands. And if you get great feedback and it's a home run, fantastic job, well done. Most of the time it won't be right away, but that's okay because you then want to look at, well, what worked here and what didn't work. And so then what you want to do is you want to do more of what works, less of what doesn't work. And it's all data, right? So what holds most people back is they want things to be just perfect. And so because they want things to be perfect, right, they're not taking enough action. And if they're not taking enough action, they're not getting enough data. And so it's this feedback loop that you have to feed. Otherwise, it's not going to get you, you know, clarity. It's not going to give you the data that you actually truly desire to make better decisions. And so oftentimes the questions that people are asking can be answered best and most quickly by actually taking action rather than just thinking about it. Yeah. As they say, imperfect action always, always beats perfect inaction. It's one of the things that I live and breathe by. And for me, I understand like what my feedback loops are. And I was listening to a bunch of your podcasts and your guests bring up OKRs and different metrics that they're, that they're tracking for their feedback. What, I guess this is a two part question for somebody that is just looking to get started. What does a feedback loop even mean? Cause I know there's some, some of our audience is not even going to understand what the term feedback loop means. So I'd love for you to kind of run through that. And then I'm going to ask you kind of for 
the audience that does understand what are you utilizing in your own business as feedback loops? Like are you using OKRs or what type of project management you have? But yeah, I would love to hear for, for the, the newbies out there, what type of feedback loop would you look to initiate in the beginning? Yeah. I mean, let's just make this very, very simple. Right. Um, but yet powerful. So, uh, you could just reach out to an ideal client. You can make an offer, right? You can say, Hey, this is what we have. And then you can see how do people respond? Do they reply to you? Do they, you know, click on a button? Do they, do they purchase, right? Do they sign up? That's feedback, right? But if you didn't do that, if you just said, well, yeah, at first I have to update my website more. I need to let me think through my plan. I need to, go, I'm not sure my pricing should be. Let me think through that a bit more. You're not getting the feedback, right? So it can be as simple as that. And then in our business, we look at a whole bunch of different things and we do track some certain metrics, but beyond uh, like very detailed metrics, what we're looking at most often is the results that we're seeing. So for example, if we're tracking uh, how many new you know clients do we have? Well, we work backwards from there and go, okay, this we had X number of new coaching clients this month. Uh, how many calls did we have this month? Okay, and what was the conversion rate of those calls? And what was how many leads do we have? And how many applications do we have? So we'll, we track that kind of data. And then what we look at is what's changed. So if we see a big spike up or down or whatever it might be, we can ask ourselves, what did we do this month, the previous month, the month before that, that may have influenced what we're currently seeing in our results. And so for us, action taking is not a problem, right? We've, we've kind of ingrained that into our culture as a company. Everyone on, on the team understands that uh, and knows that we're not judging. You know, if, if someone on the team does something and doesn't work out, they're not losing their job. Like it's, that, that's fine. It's like, okay, great. Didn't work out. What do we do next? Right? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think went wrong? And so that's part of the culture that we want to cultivate here is one where people don't have to feel like they need to be frozen into inaction or overthink. We want people to take action. They don't need to, be, doesn't need to be perfect. Let's get it out there because out there, as you said, right, is better than, than not getting out there. Ah, oh, man, this is such gold. I can't wait to listen to this, but yeah. So you're mentioning a lot of different points and in the feedback loop, I think one of the, one of the things that people are always, no matter whether you're in the beginning or the middle or a veteran consultant or even entrepreneur, pricing is always a huge thing. So one of the things that always comes up uh, with my clients is, well, what do I price this product or service at? And that's another big fear of people when they start getting out there and they're getting this feedback. Well, they'll start getting this bite where, yeah, someone is interested, but then they move them down the sales cycle and it comes time to actually make a proposal um, and pitch something. What are some of the tips you give in terms of people to price their products and their services with confidence? Yeah. I mean, it's, so you hit on the most important word out of everything there, which is confidence, right? Because pricing is a direct reflection of how confident you are in, in what you're providing the value that you can create. But the specifics around, you know, how should people price is a bit of a loaded question, right? It's, it's challenging to answer because there is no one way. If someone is new to the business, they might take a different approach. If somebody is building a productized service model, that's a different approach. If you're doing a lot of custom, you know, small numbers of clients, but high value engagements, it's going to be different. So there's a lot of different strategies, right? That you can, you can bring in. Uh, and so if, I, if we were talking about, you know, your specific situation or a client's specific situation, what we'd want to do is look at all the potential, you know, kind of points of impact and where the greatest leverage is. And then most importantly, CJ, it's find the pricing model that, that truly aligns with what you want to create, right? In your business. Uh, because if you say, yeah, I want to build 
a consulting firm and I want to get you know 10 employees or 50 team members over time, you might take one pricing model that makes sense for that. And especially if you say, well, yeah, I want to sell the company down the road. Okay, well, that, that's something that we need to consider. But if you say, no, no, I want to be, I'm going to be a solo independent consultant, maybe have an assistant or, or two or something like that. But I really want to have a lifestyle business. I want to maximize my profits so that I can invest into different things. That's a different conversation as well, right? And if you're offering a productized service model, that's going to be different too. So the main thing is that people should know you always want to focus on value, right? You always want to get very clear. You don't want to just work trading time for dollars. You want to get very clear, but where can you create the greatest value for your client and then make sure that your client is getting a great result, a great return on investment, but you're also being compensated for the value that you're creating. And if you can do that in a, in a kind of leveraged fashion where your compensation is not tied to the amount of time that you spend, but rather to the value that you are creating or delivering, um, then you'll be typically be in a good place. Everyone needs to re-listen to that response because not there's in this world, there's not one size fits all. And that was kind of the answer that I was hoping for. And because it is a loaded question, there isn't really any right way or standard way to price. There is a wrong way. And I love how you base it around value because I, I see a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot and the wrong way is not understanding the amount of value that you're actually providing, which then breeds resentment and resentment is never good in your business. But you've spent a lot of time answering some of the questions that I've, I've had. I'd love to kind of dig into what is firing you up today and what are you working towards? Because I know you've written a couple books and you have courses, um, but where are you looking to push the needle in your business and how can our audience kind of support you in that mission going forward? Yeah, thanks, CJ. Um, so one thing that our most, the most recent book that I published is called Act Now, How Successful Consultants Thrive During Chaos and Uncertainty. I published that back in April. It went from concept and kind of initial idea to published you know, up on Amazon within about two to three weeks. So we moved very quickly. Um, and the reason for that was we just saw that given what's happening in the world right now, a lot of people were, were just staying still. Like they weren't sure what to do. They were frozen, right? Kind of paralyzed with fear and anxiety and concern. And you know, I've, I've seen enough ups and downs to know that even though it's a very challenging situation, I know that it's impacting many people with lost lives or, or negative health consequences, but, but beyond that, um, we will move past this, right? And so the steps or the, the actions or the seeds that people plant today are, are going to really support them well into the future. And so we want to encourage more and more people to take action now and ideally take the right action. So I interviewed six thought leaders in the space, people like Rita McGrath and Liz Conrath and Perry Marshall. Uh, Martin Lindstrom and John Warlow from Built to Sell and, and others about you know what they're doing in their businesses and how they're reacting and so I uh, put that kind of those interviews and some of our own experiences and stories into that book as a way to help people so it's available yeah on on Amazon and Audible and all that kind of stuff but if anyone wants a free copy they can get one by going to consultingsuccess.com forward slash act now um, and you get direct access to the book there. Aside from that, you know, we're just, we've been building our team recently, which has been really exciting. You know, when many people are having to let their employees go, we are, we are hiring and kind of, you know, bringing on and building the team. So that's been a lot of fun and has freed me up to focus more and more on doing content creation and, and strategy and vision and just kind of working on the areas that I really enjoy. But yeah, we've, we've been, it's been very busy with lots of great clients, a lot of fun kind of new opportunities. And also with our momentum program, we just did a campaign on that recently. And that's been really exciting because we've tried a different approach to, to how we kind of market and, and make that program available. And that went over very, very well. Um, great reception on that. But 
it's fun to see because momentum, we really have engineered that to be a program that can take you if you're an, an employee or someone from the corporate world and you're wondering, okay, how do I get into consulting? Like I have this expertise, I know I can add value. What do I do now? How do I deal with my messaging, my ideal clients, my specialization, my pricing, proposals, marketing? We've put all that into a program that really walks people through step-by-step on how to become a successful consultant. And so I'm very excited for that. I think there's there's massive potential for people to to realize their potential um, and become successful consultants. So I see that as a big opportunity for for many people, and uh, you know we're we're appreciative and and uh, happy to be a part of it. Heck yeah! And the last question you mentioned ideal clients and customers earlier. For those listening, who who are some of your ideal customers for not only the book or the course, but potentially some of your clients, um, because a lot of our listeners do work in the corporate world and are side hustlers as well and are connected in a bunch of different spaces. And my main goal has always been with my brand to just, I love people and I love connecting people in the community. So if someone's listening, if you can just describe potential good collaborations or what you're seeking right now so that maybe they either reach out to me and then I can connect them with you or they can just reach out to you directly. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, so, I mean, as you mentioned, we, we do have, we have the podcast with working up to 200 episodes right now. Uh, there's over about a thousand articles on our website available for free. So there's lots of free content, but for those that are looking to kind of go a little bit more in depth, Momentum is, yeah, for that person that's going from, you know, new consultant. So let's say they're, they're sub $100,000 per year or someone transitioning from the corporate world, that would be a great place for them to start. Uh, for those that want to move faster, they want a more customized plan, whether you're you know, generating over $100,000 or you're generating you know, several million dollars per year, that's what Clarity Coaching is for. And we have a few different levels of that program, but that's where we work much more closely in a personalized kind of way uh, and build a, a custom plan for, for people. In terms of alliances or partnerships or, or opportunities, I think the, the big thing on my mind right now, is, CJ, is how do we get momentum, especially because there's so many people out there who are, are in the corporate world or they've been employees and they want to get into business. They want to become a consultant, but they don't necessarily how to do that. So I see a big opportunity for those making that transition. So I'm always looking at, you know, who has access to those markets, to the corporate market or to transition markets or people that support those that are making a transition. Uh, and if anyone is in that place or has people in those audiences that they think would be interested in becoming consultants and want a proven path to do that. We've had thousands of people go through that program in different formats. And the most recent version that we launched last year, we've now had several hundred already go through it with a lot of success, a lot of testimonials and uh, a lot of proof behind it. So yeah, anyone that feels that they have something there, feel free to reach out to CJ or myself and uh, we'd be glad to explore that. I love that name, by the way, Momentum. It's one of the things that I think, again, going back to the action building your momentum, even if, even if you're failing forward, like we were mentioning before in this podcast, if you build up enough momentum, you just keep going forward. And that's what I think a lot of people, if you're just stagnant, it feels, it feels stagnant. But as soon as you start gaining a little bit of traction, those little bumps in the road don't ever affect you. But before we sign off, I'd love to hear where people can actually reach you at. So a bunch of different people obviously either use Instagram, Twitter, email, what's the best way to connect with you, Michael? Uh, well, yeah, you're, you're welcome to boost up my my Instagram, um, you know, follower, friend, counterware, because I'm certainly not very active there. Uh, but the, the best place uh, is to go to consultingsuccess.com. You'll kind of find that's the home for everything, the podcast, different videos. We have we have a YouTube channel with a lot of videos and more coming out, articles, all that kind of stuff. You can access a whole bunch of, I send out a bunch of emails to people around grow, how to grow a consulting business and tell more of my story if you sign up to our mailing list. 
but also welcome people to connect directly on LinkedIn. That's probably the, the platform that I'm most active on. You can just search for my name, Michael Zapersky. Um, put a little note in there. Let me know they're coming from CJ's podcast. Always great to kind of know where people are coming from and, uh, and appreciate getting a little you know, custom note rather than just a, a request with from someone I have no idea who you are. So it's always helpful when there's at least a few words in there and uh, I'll be much more likely to accept. Awesome. Well, I hope something comes your way. Uh, before I wrap up here, is there any final parting thoughts you have for the audience? Uh, listen, I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's it's amazing that you're uh, you know putting this out into the world. And I know you're making a big impact on many people. So keep it up, CJ. No, I appreciate it. And one of the things that I always wrap up with something that hit home the most with me during the episode and something you said, Michael, early on, which was really humbling, where you're well-traveled and you mentioned the story of going up to the kid during lunch. And I just think that is something that everybody could really, even adults, kids, grandparents, like can really take to heart right now, especially in today's world where uh, there's a lot of uncertainty out there and we're all just trying to do the best that we can do. And speaking of social media and things out there, one of the reasons I podcast as much as I can is to connect with other people and hear their stories, because I believe that stories are something that connect us all. And really right now, community and connection is something that we all need. So if you're listening to this, please go support Michael. I literally follow him on his website on social and listen to his podcast. And I've gained a lot of value in my, my consulting business. And I'm super uh, thankful and grateful that you showed up here today because man, this was a blast and I'm really looking forward to launching this out into the world and seeing if we can get anybody to go your way. Fantastic. Thanks so much, CJ. Thank you again, Michael. Until next time. Thank you guys for listening. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. On behalf of our small team behind the scenes and myself, thank you so much for listening to another one of our Thrive on Life episodes. The time you spend with us is very much appreciated. As mentioned before the show, our mission is always to help those around us get better. We fully understand that we can go so much further in life together as a team, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. So if you're interested in joining our community, please head to thriveonlife.com and join our Mighty Network. Within this network, you will find a diverse group of people that is on a mission of self-improvement. Within each improvement we make as individuals, we can then be of service to this world and help it get better as a whole. What's awesome is we've already had people make new friends, receive job offers, and collaborate on new business and creative opportunities. But most importantly, within this group, you will be guaranteed the ability to learn, grow, and share experiences with other like-minded individuals. This aspect is critical to our world becoming a better place for everyone, and we are proud of our group because it represents this. For other updates on the podcast community and business, please join our weekly mailing list. We'd love to hear from you. And before I leave you, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.